This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Aleflag. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hello. Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip. Uh, I got that name right first time. I think you've actually been doing a bit of research on your Anglo-Saxon names. Single take. Uh, Yes, so we are going to be doing Elfled today, who is the consort of Edward the Elder. Yes, because last time we did... Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, who was kind of a sidestep. She's sort of not in the direct Wessex line of consort, but was a consort in Mercia and a very interesting figure. Thank goodness gracious was she worth doing that one. Our first Rex Factor winner of the series. Let's see if Elfled can follow in her footsteps. Right. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rex Factor Pod, like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page, or email rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. And if you really like what you're hearing, donate monthly to join the Privy Council, and you get some bonus content, including the Privy Chamber that we record after each of these normal podcast episodes. Biography! So, Elfled. Mm. We don't know when exactly she was born. This is going to be the whole thing, isn't it? It's, it's going to happen a lot. Yeah. So, because she's the consort, they don't know that she's going to marry the king one day, so it's not perhaps considered significant enough for the chroniclers yeah. to make note of when she's born. Okay. But it's probably sometime in the late 870s, early 880s. Okay. And she is the daughter of Elderman Ethelhelm of Wiltshire mm-hmm. and somebody else. Okay, who also wasn't deemed important enough. Indeed. Um, Elfwin's name means um, beautiful elf. Oh, Because the elf, elf, and as we've had last time with Ethelfled, the fled bit is beautiful. Ah, nice. We don't unfortunately have a portrait of Elfled or any contemporary descriptions, nor do we have the Heritage Limited playing cards for Ali to describe. So instead, we are continuing to ask for your hashtag consort cards. Send in your episode image for us to use uh, at the end of the series we'll have our own playing pack now this episode remember we've had two so far elswith we didn't have much biography no so we had quite a lot that was a bit more thematic and we mm. looked at saxon queenship ethelfled yeah. much more biography we didn't have to go off into different areas yeah elfled goes back the other way we don't have an awful lot of biography so we'll fill in with what we have, and infer between the lines what we can. Okay, is this because she's a Wessex person? It's the whole Wessex thing, indeed. Um, But we're also going to be looking more detail at royal Saxon marriages and also royal successions Cool. at the end of this episode, which is quite relevant to Elfled's story. Yeah. So, a bit of backgroundy stuff for Elfled. England is not yet formed as one united country at this time, but the reign of Alfred the Great had saw this reality come a bit closer. So he had split the country that we call England today with the Dane law, which covers sort of East Anglia and the north, Mm. and that's owned by Danes, Mm. Vikings, whilst the rest down in the south, particularly Wessex, which is Alfred's country, Mm. and Mercia, which is the Midlands, have the rest of it. Okay. So you've got Saxons in one half, Vikings in the yeah. other half. Yes, and n- then presumably their whole mission at this time is to get rid of the Danes. Mm. Saxons were just flooding in England. Exactly, so Wessex under Alfred, and then when he dies in 899, Edward mm. the Elder mm. is seeking ultimately to get all of that land back from the okay. Vikings. Now, in terms of the marriage between Elfled and Edward the Elder, we're not entirely certain again. It's thought to be either 899 or 900, so we're not sure if it's before Edward becomes king Mm. or if it's just afterwards, but it's around about that sort of time. Would that make a difference because it's Wessex, but would it be a grander affair, wouldn't it? If she if he she were marrying a king rather than a prince, yeah, quite possibly. And particularly if they coincide it with his becoming a king, it might oh, maybe, maybe the be same ceremony. a bit more of a thing. Yeah. Um, now, some 
In, t- in terms of why Edward marries her and her background, some historians believe that her father was a son of King Ethelred I of Wessex. Remind me again who he was? So he is Alfred's older brother. Oh. And thus Edward's uncle. Mm. So the reason that this might be the case is the context Edward is facing because he does not have a, an unchallenged path to the throne when his father dies. Because said Ethelred, mm. the old brother Alfred, had two sons. Oh yeah. But Alfred became that. king because the sons were very young and there were Vikings yeah. trying to kill them all. Yeah. But once Alfred dies, the surviving son, Ethelwald, He's going to think, well... Yeah, thanks for looking after it. Yeah. I'm back. Now it's my turn rather Mm. than Edward. So perhaps Edward is hoping to shore up support in Wessex because we mentioned that her father is the earldoman of Wiltshire, Mm. which is very much Wessexy country. But also he's trying to win over the rival part of the royal family. So if Elfled is descended from the uncle that Ethelwald is descended from, maybe therefore some of the family will support him rather than Ethelwald. But that does make them cousins. It does make them first cousins, which is the downside. It's not universally accepted that this was the relationship. It makes a lot of sense, though. It makes a lot of sense in terms of dealing with Ethelwald, but it doesn't make sense in terms of, you know... Genetics. Genetics. (laughs) And it's also unusual for Ethelings to become... Earldoman. So an Etheling is a royal Saxon who's the son of a king, which is what her father would be if he's the son of Ethelred. So they don't tend to become Earldoman. So it could just be somebody else around at the same time of the same age with the same name. Yeah, that's less fun though, isn't it? Either way, whatever the relationship, Edward and Elfled are married. Yeah. But Edward is facing this threat from Ethelwald. Yes. But one thing that might be interesting about this is that perhaps it does benefit Elfled in terms of her status as queen. Because we recall when we did Elswith, which was the wife and consort of Alfred the Great, Alfred had said that Wessex were opposed to crowning queens. Yeah. Which he mainly cited the example of a woman called Edbur, who's the daughter of Offa of Mercia and murdered a Wessex king that she married. Mm. Um, but he also had his own experiences because his stepmother Judith was crowned, leading to a rebellion from the eldest of the brothers. Yeah. Now, Alfred knew that Ethelwald would probably try to claim the throne when he died. So it might be that because Ethelwald's mother was described in a charter as queen, so perhaps what Alfred did was to just downplay the whole idea of queens being a thing, so he doesn't have Elswith made a queen, partly because it would be inflammatory to do so if people want Ethelwald to succeed, but also because he's like, well, Ethelwald may be the son of a queen. Is that anyway? Yeah. So under Alfred... Queens in Wessex isn't a thing at all, so Elswith was given quite a minor role, at least in terms of the histories. Okay. but That's clever, isn't it? Just take the rug under his feet and sort of remove the momentum of that mm. that whole narrative. Yeah. But Edward's in a different position because he doesn't want to be downplaying his wife or his mother. Mm. He needs to be saying, look, I'm the proper king of Wessex here and I've yeah. got all of the pieces on the board that make me a king. Yeah. So under Edward, in 901, we have a charter which is witnessed by his mother, which is the only charter she ever witnessed. She never witnessed any under Alfred. Right. And it is witnessed by Elfled. Well, so... But that is that is playing up the role of, a, of women. Exactly. Oh, that's because, what he, he had it. Yeah, yeah because for Edward, he probably feels like he needs to draw attention to his wife as saying, look, this is an important person. Yeah. Particularly if she does have royal links. Yeah. And to his mother, who is respected from her long time as consort to Alfred. Okay, yeah. Edward is facing a threat to his own status, and so he's trying to enhance that with connection to the women in his life. Now, her status may have been such that she could possibly actually have been crowned as queen. No. So an historian, Janet Nelson, argues that she might have been crowned alongside Edward in the year 900. She's from a prominent family, as we said, and Edward would benefit from her enhanced status because he's trying to battle against Ethelwald, for mm. who's got the mm. most royalness about them. But there's also an English coronation ordo, which is an order of service, from this period, which includes a description of a coronation of a king and queen. Right, from the period? From this period. Oh, that's strange then. So she speculated that perhaps Elfled is crowned queen. Oh, I don't think that's speculation, is it? That... Well, other historians have questioned this. Um, 
that is the only charter she ever witnesses. Mm. And she's described in it as conjux regis, i.e. wife of the king. So well, she's still not... a queen. That's what a queen is, isn't it? Well, but wife of the king is different to queen. Right. Four words instead of one. <laughs> yeah, whereas queen is an official actual status. Yeah. Okay. I think there's something around that ceremony in 899 or 900. Either they're married on the same day that he became king, mm. or they did have a <laughs> joint ceremony of that. Hmm. Hmm. Now, Ethelwald was a major threat to Edward. As we said, he's got the status of being the son of a king and the son of the older brother mm. as well. He's also supported by the Danes in Northumbria and East Anglia. So oh, he that's actually, no good. Though. He actually has coins minted in York. He's the classic baddie. To me, so. <laughs> yeah. We never find out how it would have all worked out because in 902 he's killed at the Battle oh. of the Holm. Right, okay. a Battle of Hull? Battle of the Holm. Oh, right, okay. Um, which perhaps is again interesting when we consider the status of Elfledge. He witnesses a charter in 901 mm. when Edward really needs to be boosting his status. Yeah. Ethelwald dies the next year and Elfled then uh, doesn't witness any more charter. So perhaps yeah. he was useful at that point, but he doesn't yeah. have to worry later on, and thus her status perhaps doesn't continue They've to be elevated. they real bee in their bonnet about queens. Hmm. So, Edward um, is very successful once he's got rid of Ethelwald. As we found out last time, together with his sister Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians, they do fight back against the Vikings, yeah. have a major victory at Tetnal in 910, and then over the next sort of five or six years, build a series of burrs or fortified mm. towns as springboards for an actual aggressive campaign in 917 to 918. Edward captured East Anglia and Essex, pushes into the five boroughs, and when Ethelfled died in 918, he takes control of Mercia. Oh, so he's now fully... He's like an Alfred. He's Well, he's, sort of, he's beyond an Alfred now because he's fully brought Mercia into the fold. He's got all of the south is he's now... Essex. Yeah, Essex, so, East Anglia, all of that sort of stuff. Right. So he's still got Vikings in York and Northumbria, but otherwise... Yeah, we're on. It's Orkney and Saxon. Now, in terms of what Elfled is doing at this time, hmm. as with Elswith, we don't really know. Yeah. Um they do have a long marriage, and there's a lot of children that they have as well. Good for long uh, dynasty. Good for dynasty. So that suggests that they were either together quite a lot, so perhaps <laughs> yeah, yeah. she goes with him, yeah. or at the very least, Edward was very dutiful in popping home and efficiently doing his duty every 18 yeah. months before heading back on oh, campaign. Oh, I see you saying, that if they're together, she might have played more of a role. So that suggests relatively close relationship, or mm. that Edward is just incredibly efficient and mm. <laughs> like, right, Time for another child. Yeah. Off to war again. Yeah. I mean, that's all they did, isn't it? I mean, he did do a lot of war, did Edward? Yeah. So, either way, this is all pretty good. She's married for quite a while, lots of children. Yeah. So, you a know. Classic Saxon queenage. And you'd hope that, you know, maybe she'll get to be a prominent queen mother or perhaps her status should be elevated a little bit by all of this association. Yeah, you'd think so. So, in the year 919, after 20 years of marriage, he sends her off to a nunnery, repudiates her. And marry somebody else. No, divorces her. Well, it's not strict as quite as strong as divorce. We'll come and, as we said at the end of the episode, we're going to look at marriages and this sort of question. It's a little bit more flexible than the situation today, and it's not an uncommon thing for kings of this period to do. But Edward decides that he's going to take a new wife, which is Edgifu of Kent. Perhaps a new political alliance he decides he needs to make, and you know he's maybe not going to have any more children with. Elfled. So he sends her off to Wilton, a nunnery, with a couple of her daughters. I don't like him one bit. Mm. What's going on there? He used her for her prestige. Yeah. And then the threat died. Um, used her for pumping out um, dynasty score. Yeah. And then she outlived her usefulness because he's got all of um, her territory yeah. that she sort of brought with mm. her. And had all the children she can have. Yeah. Harsh. Hmm. Really harsh. I mean, there was <laughs> yeah. no love there at all then. Well, I mean, I, I read um, one historian who was sort of speculating that the fact that he, you know, Edward's, um, you know, he's going to be in his sort of late 40s at this point, uh, approaching yeah, 50s. Midlife crisis. Well, midlife crisis is over the Saxons. It's kind of <laughs> yeah, deep old into age old crisis. age crisis. <laughs> Uh, but perhaps that might suggest the fact that he's left it this long that perhaps actually he does 
like her and it shows how much he cares for her that he doesn't repudiate her until they've been married for 20 years. I'm not sure that that's the most convincing argument. No, I, I question that historian. Who's <laughs> yeah. that? Don't uh, tell me one of my favourites. Okay. <laughs> he does face a renewed threat. Um, there's a Norse Viking, Ragnall, who captures York in 918, the year that Ethelfled died. So maybe he might have thought he needs to shore up his support in the southeast and Kent, which is where yeah. Gafu's from, and that means that he can campaign pretty much permanently in the yeah. north without having to worry about any unrest that he might be facing mm-hmm. down south. So perhaps he felt like he needed politically to make a new alliance and the easiest ways for him to marry. He gets on with the business of doing his fighting, but he is not going to do it forever, and indeed on the 17th of July in 924... He dies at Farndon near Chester after putting down a rebellion from some disgruntled Mercians. Chester is really far north. Yes, north and uh, west, obviously. It's not at all far from uh, Viking heartland of York. Mm. Wow. So Edward the Elder has died, but he is survived by Elfled. Mm. And indeed by two adult sons Mm. with Elfled. Elfweird, or Weird Elf. (laughs) <laughs> and Edwin. Yeah. So now there's an opportunity that Elfled is going to become the Queen Mother. Yeah, and bust out the nunnery. And indeed, she could bust out of the nunnery, because that is the thing that can be done. You know, we see lay women go into nunneries. They're not actually, at this point, completely prohibited from leaving. Oh, she doesn't have to become a nun. She just lives there. And she sort of... might not have exactly taken holy orders. She might have been sort of living amongst them and being, you know, living a fairly pious life, but she might not actually have had to take full... Holy orders to take the veil. As in they my say. mind, um, she's like Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, <laughs> yeah. when actually she's the only one who's been committed. Yeah. She can't leave. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> can. Um, anyway, yeah. So this is now a great opportunity. She's got two adult sons. Elfweard, one assumes, would succeed, but there are rivals. Now, as he said, Edgarfu is this new wife, and she has also had two sons by Edward. These are Edmund and Edred. But the oldest, Edmund, is only about four years old in 924. So realistically, long term, they might be some kind of dynastic threat, but not at this time. They're not going to be challenging for the throne. Mm. More serious, however, is a child born by a woman called Edwin. Now, Elfled is Edward's first consort, but she's not his first wife. Oh, my Lord, it's this man. It's not at all. There's no love. There's no tactic. He's just outrageous. So his first marriage was likely finished before he became king. Yeah, because he I... thought, I'm going to be king. I'm going to have a lot more fun without her. Well, exactly. Well, either she dies or he decides, right, I need something more important to be my wife now I'm yeah. king. So he repudiates her and gets himself a new one in the form of Elfled. But crucially... This first marriage with Edwin produced a son who was called Athelstan. Oh, yeah. And he had been publicly publicly invested by Alfred as effectively future heir. So he was given like a little sword and a belt and all that sort of stuff. Oh, because this was before Edward was king, whilst Alfred was still alive. Exactly. So at that point... Grandson. His grandson, yeah. Right. So Alfred's seeing a dynasty thing going on here. Um, So he's been invested and recognised by Alfred. He's then fostered at the Mercian court of his aunt Ethelfled, Mm. Lady of the Mercians. Oh, yeah. So he is the senior son, the oldest son of Edward, and naturally he is going to consider himself. That is an excellent argument not to do this repudiation. (laughs) Just do uh, a classic medieval king, have all your concubines whatever but it just creates chaos you're fostering civil war well indeed so when edward dies we see elfweard which is the son of elfled declared mm. king in wessex but in mercia they oh. declare athelstan king he just couldn't keep his trousers up but we have a conflict so as you said elfled probably didn't see her retirement as being a permanent state of affairs in wilton and she's now got the potential to return to court as queen mother and be a very influential figure mm. and she likely wants to help ensure that elthweard is the one who is permanently recognized as the king over athelstan yeah now it's probably from around this period that some rumors about edwin's status and relationship with edward start to emerge so it's said that Edwin wasn't actually Edward's proper wife, but instead was a low-born concubine. 
Oh, I see what's happening here. And thus, Athelstan is not the legitimate son and successor of Edward, but rather he's just mm. an illegitimate result of uh, mm. a one-night stand that Edward had. Yeah, that's nonsense, isn't it? And if that's true, the, the third wife would be saying the same about Elfled. However, unfortunately for Elfled, she doesn't get much opportunity to further any ambitions here because after just 16 days her son Elfweard dies 16 days after what after oh. Edward died oh dear what of we don't know maybe he'd been ill previously I suppose it's, it's not unusual is it it's not unusual it's convenient for Athelstan obviously what happened to the other one El- Elfweard and Edwin Edwin he's still alive but, but he is He's younger again, yeah. but I suppose also if Athelst- uh, if Alfred had put in put so much investment into Athelstan, mm. if you're then faced with a second born of another claimant or Athelstan, that puts more gives gives Athelstan more kudos. Edwin's there, but he's probably not been spending the last ten years, yeah, with everyone waiting for him to be king. So do, does Wessex at this point accept that Athelstan is is the chap? Well, they do eventually. He's only actually crowned uh, in September of 925. So that's just over a year after Elfweard dies. So it seems like it takes him a while to fully come round to the idea. But this, And this is all... come People come round to this idea through, sounds like, diplomacy. There's no... Through diplomacy, war. a bit of reality as well. Yeah. Because you've got Athelstan as this strong military leader, mm. Mercia supporting him. Mm. Perhaps Elfled is part of the reason it takes a long time. Maybe she's still scheming, trying to get Edwin recognised instead, but obviously unsuccessful, and her hopes of returning to the royal court seem to have been foiled, and she probably remains as a nun, or not as a nun, she probably remains at Wilton, the nunnery. But there is a bit more scheming that goes on, and it seems like Edwin is involved in a plot to blind Athelstan. Of course he is. Oh, they blind everyone, don't they? Love a bit of a blinding in the Saxons. This is because it's not murder to blind somebody, so it's Mm. not a mortal sin, Mm. but it would make the person unfit to be king. Why? Well, because they can't see. They can't lead in battle. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that bit. Yeah. It's weird. Why don't they make them deaf or, like, sew their lips shut? (laughs) That's awful. (laughs) I don't mean that. Uh... Yeah, so in 933, um, Edwin is drowned at sea. Because of this plot? Quite possibly. He apparently was exiled in a leaky boat without food, oars or water. Oh, I see. So in the same way that that's not murder. Yeah. Yeah. But as such now, both of her sons have died and Elfled's hopes of becoming Queen Mother, of having that greater influence and coming back to the royal cult are properly finished Mm. um we have a couple of charter appearances in 928 uh, before edwin died she was granted 25 highs at winterbourne by athelstan um and the possibility she was granted an estate in dorset by uh king edmund the first which would be in the 940s so she'd be pretty old by then so it might Mm. just be another woman Mm. of the same name but all hope of returning to power has gone naturally they don't bother to record when she dies but it's probably at some time in the 930s or perhaps... Perhaps never. Or perhaps never. Yeah. Or perhaps the early 940s. Mm. Mm. Well, that's a sad end, isn't it? It is. It's quite a nearly story with Alfred. You can see how she might have become a very significant figure, but it doesn't quite happen for her. Yeah. I can see her sort of pushing to become this nearly figure, which is what we're after here. Mm. You can see, as we said, we're always reading between the lines. You can mm. see that the lines are kind of... Perhaps vibrating a little bit <laughs> as she tries to get onto them, but it yeah. doesn't quite happen. She's bounced off them. Mm. Anyway, that is the life and uh, consortship of Elfled. Let's see how she does when we review her. Would you like another tea? Battleliness! So, what we're looking for in battleliness with consorts, as we said, if there is military stuff like we had with Ethelfled last time, then that's great and we'll give lots of credit for that. Mm. But we're also looking for evidence of sort of independent action, fighting for their own corner, agency. Yeah. Now, we don't have a lot of definite direct evidence for Elfled, but as we said, if she's bumping onto those lines a little bit, yeah. we can perhaps see her hidden away in history. We've got both of her sons in a battle for the succession, and quite possible, if not likely, that uh, as 
potential Queen Mother that Alfred is one of the people who's really trying to fight their corner. So despite being sent to a nunnery in 919, she possibly re-emerges, or is doing it from where she is, uh, possibly behind those rumours about Edwin, and thus Athelstan's illegitimacy. And of course we have this plot uh, involving Edwin to blind Athelstan, and it's unlikely it was just Edwin on his own, it's coming from royal circles perhaps. She's part of that too. There's a bit, isn't there? It's not great. And obviously Athelstan does become and remain king. So even if it were that it failed. It fails. But it's, even though in terms of def- definite evidence it's nothing, but in terms <laughs> of possible role, it's not nothing. We see her having been sent off to a nunnery, but she's not stayed there and gone quietly and gone incredibly pious. She no. wants her sons to be king. She's trying to fight back. One or two. Hmm. One. I'm going to give her one for each. Oh, okay. One yeah. for Weird Elf and <laughs> one for Edwin. Okay. So that's a two for me, so that's a three for Battleiness. Scandal. This perhaps is where it's a little stronger, mm. but it is effectively the same as for Battleiness. Yeah. We've got her involvement in this battle for the succession. Mm. Now, Edwin is her rival, the mother of Athelstan. We don't know much about her family background. It's likely that she inverted commas, married Edward in roughly 893. Mm. Athelstan's born in 894, Mm. so we assume it's probably just before that. We don't know what happens to her. She either died or was repudiated by 899. She's not mentioned during Athelstan's reign, so we assume that she was certainly dead by 924. Now, as we recall, the allegation is that she is a low-born concubine Concubine. Yeah. (laughs) She's a low-born porcupine, (laughs) and she has no place at a royal court. Too spiky. Mm. Now, there's a woman called Hrotsvita of Gandersheim, who is a poet in the 960s. Which from Suffolk? Uh, So she's in the the Holy Roman Empire Mm. with uh, Mr. Otto, so off in Germany. She claimed Athelstan's mother was lower in status than Elfled. So it's not just something perhaps from the immediate royal court, it's also something discussed in Europe. But that's not really enough to really blacken Athelstan's no, name. No, and I just feel like they need to get some solid rules written down around this. It's all a bit vague. Is it? Is it better? Is it not? I, maybe that was very clear in their mind. Well, we need to get a really proper bit of scandal to... Mm. And this is the story about Edwin from William of Malmesbury. Mm. There was in a certain village a shepherd's daughter, a girl of exquisite beauty, who gained through the elegance of her person what her birth could never have bestowed. In a vision she beheld a prodigy, the moon shone from her womb, and all England was illuminated by the light. Goodness. When she sportively related this to her companions in the morning, it was not so lightly received, but it immediately reached the ears of the woman who used to nurse the sons of the king. Deliberating on this matter, she took her home and adopted her as a daughter, bringing up this young maiden with costlier attire, more delicate food, and more elegant demeanour. Soon after, Edward, the son of King Alfred, travelling through the village, stopped at the house which had been the scene of his infantile education. Indeed, he thought it would be a blemish on his reputation to omit paying his salutations to his nurse. Becoming deeply enamoured of the young woman, I Edwin, from the instant he saw her, he passed the night with her. Oh, aye. Pregnant from this single intercourse, she realised her dream when she brought forth her son, Athelstan. So he's saying they weren't even married. Not even married. Well, he's not saying that. He doesn't believe this, but he's saying this is the story. Ah, oh, okay. Not yeah. even married. Mm. She's a shepherd's daughter, made to look pretty and sophisticated. I was going along with him then. He was saying it as if this is... This is fact. This this is not fact, this incredible tale. Pay no attention, but nevertheless, let's talk about this in detail for I the next ten minutes. being such a great orator that I'm going to tell a lie. <laughs> but what's this about a shiny womb? It's a dream that she's going to have this great king that will rule all of England. Right. It's a vision. I don't... Can I tell you why I think this is nonsense, aside from the shiny womb? Mm. Um, I don't think Athelstan, Mr. Pious Muddy Man himself, Mm. would... Alfred. Sorry, yeah, Alfred, would have um, 
would have uh, given Athelstan his sort of blessing if he were, if he were a, if he's uh, the son of a concubine. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, even if they are married, but she's of such low status mm. to be potentially considered not really worth anything. Again, mm. would Alfred have agreed to his son marrying? I'm shaking my head for those of you. Who are such women, yes. So he would have had to have had Alfred's approval. Exactly. So more likely is that Edwin was from a noble family mm. and perhaps, you know, he marries her during Alfred's reign. Maybe she dies. Mm. Maybe he becomes king and he needs somebody a bit more important. Oh, maybe wife. she dies. Oh, yeah, because we haven't done her. Are we going to do her? No, because I, th- I did wonder about it. But say this, I mean, that quote really is it. it. Uh. So I thought we'd do it here. But yeah, and she, she wasn't a consort. doesn't seem to be married yeah. to Edward as king. And thus right. she isn't technically a consort. She also had a daughter potentially Edith, who married Citric Keich, who became king of Northumbria. So in 926, the Viking king married Athelstan's sister. Wow. Which, again, I suppose, as a sister, if Athelstan's king, that still lends her a status, but again, perhaps suggests that she's not considered yeah. the lowly daughter of a shepherdess or shepherd. Yeah, definitely not. Frotzvita of Gandersheim. Yeah. Uh, she's writing for Otto the Great, who is married to one of Elfled's daughters. Right. So, so in other words, yeah. she's not a neutral source not far off in Germany. Yeah. She's actually very much... Yeah, that's how she knows so much about it. Yeah, so she's probably been told to continue spinning this yarn. Mm. So really, we've got a made-up story by Elfled trying to discredit, uh, discredit Edwin and, of course, Athelstan. Fails, mm. falls down at the first hurdle and doesn't work. But, you know, it's a little bit naughty, a little bit mean in terms of scandal. It's, I mean, bit of dark arts going on here. Yeah, and if not well thought out, well imagined. Yes, it's a very colourful tale, if nothing else. Um, Less imaginative, Mm. um, obviously, was the plot to blind Athelstan Mm. and make Edwin King in his place. And again, she might have been involved in that sort of plot. Mm. Mm. And also, as I said, there's a possibility that she was actually the first cousin of Edward the Elder. Yeah. Doesn't seem to have been scandalous at the time, but... You know, we might look back on that and think it's not entirely uh, above board. Mm. So we've got making up nasty rumours about Athelstan's mother, Mm -hmm. plotting to blind Athelstan Mm -hmm. and marrying her cousin. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm struggling between a two or a three. I'm scoring low again today, two. I think I'm also going to give a two, but I think I'm going to take one. Again, the one I'm taking off is the marrying her cousin, because I think that you know, okay. wasn't scandalous at the time necessarily. It was just what was being done. And also, mm. again, might not actually be cousins. It might just be her dad's got the same name as someone yeah. else. Yeah. But that is nevertheless the first points for scandal in this series. Really? So that's a four for scandal. Best score yet. Boom. Subjectivity. Not big scores thus far for Elfled. Mm, no, but... Again, you know, it's consistent. like it's, she's just almost there doing something. Mm. We just can't quite reach through mm. the lines. Yeah, can't quite see the image of her properly. Well, now in subjectivity, we've actually got something direct and tangible. Okay. We have the St. Cuthbert embroideries. Oh, I'm so pleased you brought those up. There is not a day go by that I do not... It's my screensaver. So, St. Cuthbert, uh, who is uh, this great saint of northern England, buried uh, in Durham Cathedral. Oh, he features in our Scottish episodes, does he? Uh, in the, the Scottish bones. and the early Saxon ones, yeah. Ah. And um, his tomb contained, uh, when it was dug up and looked at, embroidered stole, which is this thing of silk wore around the neck of the priest, hangs down to the knees. Yeah. And a maniple, which is a strip worn over the left arm. Right. So these were apparently donated by Athelstan when the tomb was opened in 934 and have subsequently, when his tomb's been reopened, been discovered there. Why is this tomb constantly open and closed? It's like I think they like to have a look to make sure that he's so definitely a saint. Yeah. Athelstan's paying his respects and wants to associate with the king, so he bestows gifts <laughs> upon him. I've got a scarf for Cuthbert. He's been dead hundreds of years. Well, so right. dig him up. Dig him up. Want to see him in a scarf? It'll suit him. <laughs> I'm imagining him now in like a you know a football scarf with two yeah. halves on match day. Like Tom Baker in uh, Doctor Who yeah. or something. Uh, so, as we said, this is donated by Athelstan, but Athelstan didn't commission this, but rather he took an existing 
series of embroideries and thought, these look nice, I'll take these to oh, okay. Cuthers. And they are actually originally commissioned by Elfled. Ah. So, because an inscription on the reverse of one of the panels says, Elfled had this made for the pious Bishop Frithastan, who I think was Bishop of Winchester. So Athelstan just nicked them. Athelstan just nicked them. Athelstan just thought these are nice. Frithastan probably died before there was a chance to give them to him. Take Maybe them back. they weren't finished. So he thought, well, I'll just take them to Cuthbert. My nasty stepmother made these. Mm. So certainly her, royal, her household and skilled people would have been involved. But it's also possible, particularly if she's doing some of this when she's been sent off to the nunnery and there's nothing else to do. Oh, yeah. That this might actually have been made partly by Elfled's own fair hands. Oh, that's pretty good. And it survives, as you said, because it's in Cuthbert's tomb, it is still there. And it's often described as the only surviving embroidery from the Anglo-Saxon period, which is one of their great art forms, alongside weapons and jewellery. Apparently they were very proud of their embroideries. Right. Except for the fact that actually technically the bio-tapestry exactly. is actually embroidery rather than a tapestry. Yeah, but in at terms the same of, time. But in terms of things that are described as embroideries, yeah. it's the only one. <laughs> from the period but nevertheless that's an amazing thing we actually have an object potentially made by Elfled that yeah. survived or if not actually made she it, it, she commissioned it so surely would have been intricately involved in the process yeah and we can't you know we cannot say this of any other consorts we can't even we can barely say it even of the kings in terms of actual clothing we can't a physical object put into St Cuthbert's tomb which is a sign mm. presumably of how well thought of and how beautiful and how impressive it was that it was considered worthy yeah, yeah, yeah. of St Cuthbert's tomb. Pretty good. And interesting, actually, um, Athelstan is the first king for whom we have a contemporary artwork, and it's of him presenting a Bible to St Cuthbert. So oh. it's, in effect, a presentation of this... Uh, of that moment. Of these goods, yeah. yeah. Wow. Are we bigging it up too much? Well, it's... I guess in terms of what we've had otherwise... Oh, yeah, compared to everything else. And compared probably to compared Elswith. to what we're going to have for the next 100 years. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the problem, obviously, is that otherwise we can't really point to much action that's done. So in terms of improving the lives of your subjects or a great legacy, it's not that amazing. No, I mean, if you were knee-deep in mud, as you know, I imagine this era, harvesting uh, scraps of corn from your cart that's just fallen over in the depths of a wet March evening... You're not going to go, tell you what, that, that tapestry. <laughs> Embroidery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's something at least. Three. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm probably going to go with the three as well. It's it's hard to really give much more, but again, it is a... It is a something. It is something. No, actually, you know what? I'm going to give it a four. What? Because it is a something. I'm realising actually four is still quite, you know, it's below anything. She's also consort for 20 years so I'm going to give her a 4 that's a 7 for subjectivity longevity so she's consort from 899 to 919 when she's repudiated which mm. is 20 years oh yeah of course yeah now you could argue that Elfweard was recognised as king in Wessex and uh, thus technically oh. she would have been queen mother of half a kingdom for Five days, 14 days. Or whatever. 16 days. Oh. Mm. Um, but I think realistically, even if we add that in, that's not going to contribute even point something. No. We have 20 years for which she's credited, for which she gets a respectable score of 13 out of 20. That's very good, isn't it? 19th overall for the series. For 20 years? Hmm. Dynasty, not the program. Well, she does very well here. By Edward, she has eight children. Two sons, Elfweard, who was briefly king, and then Edwin, but also six daughters, who mostly all go on to be pretty powerful women. Edgifu married Charles the Simple of France. Edgifu, the... A different one. Oh. Um, and thus the mother to Louis IV, who was raised at Athelstan's court. We also have Edhild, who marries Hugh the Great, who helps restore Louis IV. Edgith, who marries Otto the Great, Holy Roman Emperor. Elfgifu, who marries a chap called Louis, the brother of Rudolf of Burgundy. And then Edfled and Ethelhild, who join her as nuns in Wilton. Oh, God. i got the rough end of the stick. What are you going to do? I'm going to hang out with Mum for the rest of my life in this nunnery, making a tap embroidery. Anyway, eight children gives her a score of 17 
out of 20. Gosh, she's doing really well. That's fifth best for Dynasty. Wow. So we'll add all of that up and we get a total score of 43, which puts her into second place. So she's overtaken Elswith. Anyway, it's not all about the score, of course. We now have to decide whether Elfed has that certain something, that lasting legacy, the great achievement and star quality that we call... Rex Factor! Oh, we've got those lovely embroideries. No. It's unfortunate. There's just not much to go on with her. She's, as we said, she's something of a nearly woman. She's nearly the Queen Mother. She's consort for all that time and then gets repudiated. She just doesn't quite get the rub of the green. Yeah, definitely true. And you know, I'm a, I love a nearly. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fan of things that nearly happen. Don't quite. I don't know that the 1995 New Zealand All Blacks side. I'm sure everyone went straight to that example. <laughs> uh, or more obscure still, the uh, XJ220 that didn't have the V12 engine. I love it, but not this. If actually the only thing that we can say is she was a dad panned with a needle. Maybe, actually, that's what she was using for the blinding. Well, maybe. Mm. No. No, definitely not for me. No, and sadly, it has to be a no for Elfa. We don't have enough to go on. She doesn't have the Rex Factor. Still. Interesting, though. Yes, and a particularly interesting aspect to her story, and something which you were getting frustrated by, the uncertainty over the succession, and obviously Edward's uh, rather lax commitment to marriage vows. It's so silly. So we're going to look at that in a little more detail. Okay. Saxon marriage and the succession. So we've got some questions from Elfled's story. Um, We've got that claim that Edgewyn was a concubine versus the legitimate Elfled. We've got the repudiation and why Edward is able to just drop his wife so easily and so readily. Mm. Why there's so much uncertainty about which of his sons is actually going to rule. And what all of this tells us about the role, the power, and the experience of consorts in this period. Mm. Now, one of the things with the Saxons and their marriages, and particularly the kings, is that it's not all quite as legally binding and formalised as we would have today, or indeed as we have later in the medieval period. Marriages are often largely secular affairs, and they're made in stages between families. So you have negotiations, consent is given, there's betrothal, giving of gifts... Uh, marriage rights and the actual consummation. Oh, right. So it's not a whole thing set under a stained glass window with... Um... Not necessarily. It can be, and the church, as we'll see, feels They're that keen it to get involved should sure. be, but it isn't always. So there's a variety of different types of unions. So you might have some men who are young but lack property, so they can't actually tick all of the necessary boxes. Yeah. Or you've got perhaps a more powerful men like Edward, who'd quite like to keep their options open. Yeah. So he's sort of doing enough that he's not disgracing a woman or invalidating any children he has or that sort of thing. But equally, if he decides he wants to marry somebody else, he's not actually ticked all these boxes with the church oh, and all okay. that sort of thing. And actually, it's quite. So it's easy. not going the full distance. It's like it's like very serious dating with both yeah. families. Or uh, that's so they wouldn't necessarily brilliant. be considered canonical in religious terms. These marriages, they don't actually have a full religious blessing. No, but that's the, the kind of thing I'd go for. Not because I, I'm in any <laughs> chance of... Yeah, there you go. That is the right time for a scandal bell. Not because I'm in any position to do any better yeah. <laughs> at all. But just, you know, bump the church out of it. But the downside, Pauline Stafford, this story, said that marriage by stages is a lawyer's nightmare and a repudiator's charter. The omission of any stage can be an argument for a less than fully binding tie. Yeah, a lawyer's dream, yeah. So as a result, we've got English and continental kings in this period tending towards serial monogamy, Mm. which Edward's very much an exponent of that art form. Um, It's much more flexible for the kings, and they can define a marriage as being effectively a sort of form of concubinage. Mm. So they've not fully married. They can say, well, she's just somebody that I was spending all my time and having children with, but (laughs) now I'm going to actually marry, so it's not a problem. That and, she's not dead. And then 10 years' time, when I said I was going to actually marry, I didn't do that last stage. So mm, now this one. This one. Yeah. Exactly. There's something with the Henry VIII about it. But does this um, does this mean that actually there might have been something to the to the um, 
rumours that she spread about his Edward's first wife, that it wasn't a serious marriage. Well, this is the thing. In terms of her being a shepherd's daughter, no, probably not. Right. But the the word concubine, as we would imagine it, you sort of maybe got a brothel somewhere or, mm. you know, sort of naughty women in dark corridors emerging. And <laughs> But that's not the case. Actually, the difference between a concubine and a wife isn't that vast it's just perhaps how many boxes he ticked on the form or how many things he's gone through with or indeed what he feels like it is at that point in time if you're a powerful chap so it's only really around the level of ceremony or dowry or this sort of thing that is differentiating between what the church would be considering a full marriage and so when does this would. all get sorted out is it when the church gets involved in well the church it? does get involved they're increasingly vocal in their opposition to this marriage practice it's uncanonical marriages are considered illegitimate or even as you're saying bigamous because if the church says look you did marry this person <laughs> and she's not dead so this second <laughs> well, marriage she can be <laughs> this second or third marriage that you're having not legit because you're already married still in the ninth century pope john the eighth wrote to archbishop ethelred saying, Thus, as no one can leave a previous wife joined to him in legal matrimony, by no reason is it allowed him on any account to marry another while the former wife is still alive. If he does, and is not eager to make amends by penance, let him remain separated from the fellowship of the church. Neither are you to permit anyone to marry within their own kindred by the established decree of our holy predecessor, Gregory, the teacher of your race. As you see, we've got a lot of uncanonical Saxon marriages. Alfred's older brother, Ethelbold, uh, married his own stepmother, Judith. No. Uh, Edwin, as we said, accused of being a concubine. We now know... <laughs> you determined to call her a porcupine. Well, I'm saying the con, but then it becomes a pine. <laughs> Compupine. <laughs> Edwin, as we said, accused of being a concubine, but it's less a reflection on her position in society, more the nature of the ceremonials and the fact that it probably might not have been recognised as a full marriage by the church. Yeah. Ethelwald, the rival to Edward, he actually starts off his reign by seizing a nun from her convent. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Where is it? Come here. He seizes a what? A nun. <laughs> Tell me. Uh, and then seems to marry her. Likely she is of high birth. It's even suggested that she might be Ethelgifu, who is the abbess of Shaftesbury, and a daughter of Alfred, and thus his first cousin. Perfect. So you've got Edward marrying Elfled, who yeah. is his first cousin and the niece of Ethelwald, and then you've got Ethelwald marrying Ethelgifu, who is his first cousin, and the sister of Edward. So both... And a nun. And a nun. So you've got the two Saxon claimants for the throne after Alfred, both marrying their cousins in a bid to outdo each other. And possibly not actually marrying them, just saying, I will definitely not sleep around for the foreseeable future. Yes. Brilliant. And as we said, Elfled is suggesting she's Edward's first cousin, like Ethelwald. So we've got all of these contemporary marriages that are a bit dodgy, a bit uncertain. Mm-hmm. Now, the impact of all of this on the consorts um, is really quite bad, and this perhaps helps to explain partly, as well as Alfred's explanations, why we don't know that much about them, because their status is necessarily limited by all of this. And why they don't have queens. Yeah. So the loose definition of marriage means it's not conducted through the church, it's very easy for kings to drop a wife whenever it's convenient, and they won't face any recrimination. So they're not protected by being queen. Mm. particularly because in Wessex they don't like this at all. They're not Mm. crowned, they're not anointed, they're not permanently set apart from other noble women. No. It's just a temporary status while they're married to the king, but it doesn't protect them. Because it could end at any time anyway. Now, Henry VIII, of course, went to huge efforts to change wives in his bid to get one boy to be his heir. Yeah. But Edward has three sons by two women when he repudiates Elfled. He, you know, he didn't need more sons at this point, but it shows that even fertility is not enough to protect a queen. You'd think that producing an heir and a spare yeah. and lots of daughters, that she's done what she needs to do. And she'll be left alone to be happy. And be left alone to be and queen. And he can just have an actual concubine, can't he? Yeah, but he's making his alliances. He's decided oh. it's more politic to get rid of her. So the fact that she is married to the king is not protection. The fact that she's produced sons is not protection. Without being anointed and crowned and thus having this greater status that 
is recognised by the church, effectively, mm. the consorts are vulnerable to losing their position at any moment. Um, and this undermines their ability to develop a, to develop a strong position at court, mm. to develop allies who protect her position mm. and also set up for the next generation. So in a way, all wives are pseudo-concubines. Yeah. They're only really the wife and consort up until the point that the king doesn't want them to be. They don't have a title so much as a badge that mm. can be unpinned at any point. Yeah. So the desire to have multiple wives makes life much easier for a king who wants to be able to make new alliances and produce mm. new children. But it also means that it's not in his interest to elevate his consort yeah, to the status of a queen. Mm. Because once you've actually crowned and anointed, you mm. can't then just dismiss because then it's official, it's recognised by the church, everyone understands that that marriage is the one. Yeah. I can see how it's really useful to a king during a reign for creating alliances, but completely does over the next reign. Well, exactly. So the succession is thus very uncertain because you've got numerous wives, all of debatable legitimacy, so it's not clear which son has the best claim to the throne. And they don't have the Saxons, a, six, a fixed system in place. The throne could be claimed by an etheling, which is the son of a king, mm. Um, they just have to really convince the Wheatan, i.e. the nobles and church, that they have the best claim or that they are the best candidate to be king. And the Wheatan can actually say, no, we want this fella. Exactly. Then that makes me think it does work, because I came to this discussion uh, with the assumption that primogeniture was the thing that everyone's aiming for, but, you know, it, it develops. Mm. And if they, you know, the, I've forgotten about the Wheatan and how powerful they are, that they can actually decide which one becomes king. By doing this, a king is just putting loads of hats in the ring. And he might have three rubbish ones from one wife yeah. and a really good one from the third. Hmm. So instead, we've got a battle for the throne, and it's a battle for status and legitimacy. So inevitably, this will fuel propaganda and character assassination targeting the queen mothers. Yeah. And indeed, it will often be that royal women come to prominence either receiving accusations of their bad behaviour or perhaps being the ones making the accusations against their rivals. They must know this, uh, the politics of this, and they must go in preparing either arguments against the previous one mm. or, or the next one, try, the next one <laughs> and trying to make their position whiter than white. Well, and this is actually the interesting thing and the flip side to all of this is that Obviously bad that they can be repudiated and they've got no power and influence. But when you have this succession debate, this is actually then an opportunity for consorts or queen mothers to have much more of a role and an influence. Yeah, and to do that scheming. Exactly. So they are the most loyal and trustworthy supporters for their sons. Mm. And obviously they have had a prominent position at court, so they might have people they know and friends and people that they can influence. And if they are successful, they then are official queen mother and potentially have a very influential role. It also feeds into that idea that they shouldn't be queens because they're scheming. Mm. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it just it does need this total change of system where it's primogeniture. So in today's example, Elfled, her position as consort to Edward indicated um, that she had this limited status because she was repudiated despite producing all of these children. Mm. But when he dies, suddenly there's a chance for her to become much more influential because mm. she can try and ensure that her son succeeds Edward and becomes king. So now she's got an opportunity to get involved in the succession politics. And that's that's the tricky thing, isn't it? That uh, during this period, it's sort of arguable that that they should there's more there's more influence after the the husband has died. Mm. And also weirdly, once they're a big player in the succession politics. That's when the lax marriage rules are also of benefit because if, like Elfled, you don't have the oldest son of the mm. dead king, you've got the second oldest, you Doesn't can say, matter. well, but that first marriage, you know, who mm. really thinks that was all above board? No, it should be about me. So it gives them an opportunity mm. to put their cause forward, whereas if it was strict primogeniture, yeah. you'd say, well, you know, it's got to be Athelstan, hasn't it? And it's up to the Wheatan, they can say, well, this guy is actually better mm. with the sword than that. The bad luck for Elfled is the fact that Elfled died, Elf Elfweir died young and Edwin was unsuccessful in his attempts to unseat Athelstan, so she never actually gains the status of the Queen Mother, so we mm. never quite see the opportunity fully in action. Mm. But we'll see next time, a little spoiler, with Edgifu, 
what does happen when a queen mother is able to attain that status and has that influence over her sons. Cool. What opportunities there are for consorts. Yeah, interesting. It's panning out, this story, yeah, isn't, isn't it? it? There's more to it than meets the yeah. eye. Yeah, brilliant. Correspondence Corner. So, as we said at the start, get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at RexFactorPod. Like us on Facebook, email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com and go to RexFactor.wordpress.com, read the blogs and complete the polls to tell us whether or not you think all of these characters deserve the Rex Factor or not. Also, hashtag consort cards. Exactly. Send in your version of a Heritage Limited playing card for this episode. Do you know what I should be wearing in my mind? The 1995 All Blacks shirt with the <laughs> World Cup, you know, the old World Cup logo on one side. Yeah. CCC, perfect. I thought you were going to say scarf. And a scarf. If you'd like to support the podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast uh, Is that a thing, you Apple Podcasts? Yeah, yeah, it's not iTunes anymore it's Apple, it yeah. uh, and subscribe as well if you would like to donate money to us and join the Privy Council then you can do so you will get the Privy Chamber bonus podcast that we do after each of our main episodes and depending on what level you donate at you may also gain access to special episodes mugs and t-shirts oh yes and we have some new Privy Councillors to welcome into our chamber my favourite bit Susan Doipka Chris Goffier Kelpie112 Gavin Harper Carissa Holden, Janelle Vickery, Isabel Duff, Cleaner 1J, R.F. Hannon, A. Hendricks, Kerry Ann, Ashley Kermer, K. McCutch, Martin Clark, Broadley Char, actually it's probably Charlotte Broadley, isn't it? Uh, Christine or Nikki Samek, and Mike W.D. Brilliant. Arise one and all. Jan- Janelle Vickery, she, I, I'm familiar with her name from Facebook, so <laughs> hello. <laughs> Some messages from some of our more recent Privy Councillors. Zachary Gallagher. I've been binge listening ever since I realised Henry II was born in Le Mans. Previously known as a dreadful little town, I was forced to visit because of my in-laws. Since discovering this, I've been forced to give it a second look. Thank you for what's become hundreds of hours of informed air between my ears. In my mind, Le Mans is a beautiful place. Yeah, maybe it's a bit, not apart from the race, not a lot perhaps going on. Yeah. Sarah and David. Hello, boys. Hello. My wife and I have been listening to you since the very beginning. You are the soundtrack to our UK holidays as we always listen to you in our car when travelling around. We listened to a huge chunk of the Scottish series on our most recent month-long holiday around Scotland, listening to Mary before we went to Holyrood and Robert the Bruce before we went to Stirling and Bannockburn, and it added so much value to our experience. Oh, cool. Thank you very much. Crumbs. (laughs) And some general correspondence. Marcus Royce Fulton. Have you thought about adding another category, maybe something consort-related, like how politically advantageous or popular the marriage was? Eleanor would obviously get a high score, whereas Mary's Philip would get a low score. Oh, the um, King of Spain. Mm. Mm. It's a quite interesting idea. It's definitely something that's worth us thinking about and discussing when we do them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Courtney. Oh, gosh. It's been a while since I haven't understood a Britishism on Rex Factor. What on earth is a wasak? Wasak? <laughs> well, yeah. A wasak. I'm going to have to use my phone to Google that. Um, it's just, just a bit. I mean, I've been a bit of a wasak on occasion today. <laughs> uh, it's a thing, isn't it? Oh yeah, look, it's the, a stupid or annoying person. <laughs> I love. I I do love definitions I do love of rude words. Wasak and bozo are in, <laughs> are in frequent use at the moment. And finally, Joe Refford. Dear Legends. Oh, hello. Good way to start. I've been a massive fan of Rex Factor since day one, and it really reignited my passion for history. As a result, I've been thinking thinking about developing a series of comics, of graphic novels, that showcase some of the exciting tales from our history that can bring it alive for people. My main inspiration is the freeing of Edward III, my favourite king, which I would like to get retold in comic book form to act as an example to either drive further funding and develop a whole series. Well, I can tell you what, I would read that absolutely. History of England in a comic? Mm. (laughs) Oh, So this is where I'll be grateful for your help. I've set up an initial GoFundMe site to get some funds for the example comic. Sadly, I have the artistic capability of an Anglo-Saxon. That's even better. I'd read that even more. Well, yeah, maybe you should just do his own yeah. terrible version. Is this a real... Uh, have you got the website there? I'm going to look at uh, it. Yeah, so um, he's planning to get a proper artist to actually develop it for him, but you think he should just do his own yeah. sort of stickman and... Uh... Definitely. 
Uh, so if you search comic book dash exciting stories from English history on gofundme.com, if you like that idea, then you can uh, help Joe along. Anyway, thank you. That's uh, all our messages. Thank you very much for everybody for sending them in. Please continue to do so. Next time we will be doing Edgifu, the uh, second consort or third wife of Edward the Elder, and that one will be a bit more heavy on the biography. We'll have more to say about Edgifu. All right, wicked. Till then, cheerio.